When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Welcome back. I'm Julia Hartley Brewer and you are with Talk TV. Still with me in the studio is Conservative commentator Benedict Spence. Uh, good afternoon to you. Uh, look, we've been talking uh, a lot today and a question out to the, our audience today about being, well, called up to fight for your country and we're going to talk to a military guest something you know i'm the armchair general we'll talk to actually someone who's actually done the actual deed but general sir patrick sanders who is the head of the british army has warned in a speech today uh, that the british public will have to be called up to fight if the uk goes to war because our military is simply too small we have a fraction of the uh, number of people we used to have we're down to 70,000 um we're only spending two percent of gdp uh on our on defenses it was four percent during the cold war a lot of people saying it needs to go up to at least three percent um we you know we don't have enough ships tanks planes we don't have enough fighting men and women um amazing stat this morning um the the, the raf had 36 fast jet squadrons in the cold war we're now down to just six i mean we just we just don't have a fighting force. Um, but we also don't have many reservists uh, as well. And we are facing, uh, you know, the threat from Russia. There's a threat from China uh, and, again, Iran. And these countries are all moving to destabilise, not just the Middle East and, and Eastern Europe, but, you know, other areas. We're seeing them trying to undermine us. Are you willing to fight for your country is the question. I'm prepared. Be, of course, I'd be prepared to defend the British mainland. Yes, absolutely. Possibly France. I know we said flippantly that, you know, that's what we do. We like to go to France and fight. But, you know, as a preemptive measure before they but get But basically, here, you'd, you'd go and fight. You'd, 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 second World War start. You'd go and fight in France to not, save Britain. Yeah, I am not interested in going to die in a recreation of the First World War in Eastern Europe with drones and ballistic missiles, which actually nobody should be interested in doing that because that is the war that it is. It's not the Second World War. It's the first. It's trench war with better equipment. Oh, but oh, no, we've all been told, haven't we, oh, war's going to be, it's just going to be, you know, robots fighting and drones. No, it comes down to largely men in trenches uh, fighting, mm. uh, doesn't it? Um, well, the question I'm asking you is this very same thing. Today we're asking if the British public uh, uh, are being called up to fight, if you would actually fight for your country. And do you think enough other Brits would be willing to sign up, particularly the younger generation? Uh, give us a call on 0344 499 text on 87222. Get in touch on X at Talk TV. calls the charge the national rate text costs one standard network rate message i have to say an awful lot of people not very keen to do so uh, right now though uh, let's bring in a military guest on this major general chap 
sorry, Chip Chapman, get it right, uh, former head of counterterrorism at the MOD and a commander uh, in the elite parachute regiment. Good afternoon to you, Chip. Good afternoon, Julia. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, you know, I talk a good game, but fundamentally, I'm an armchair general, never actually been there. I like to think, in the event of war, certainly to defend a territory where in my family, my, my fellow uh, uh, nation uh, you know, livers, I, that I would be willing uh, to, to, uh, to fight and to lay down my life because people have done that before for me to lay, live the life I lead. But we're amazed, actually, by how many people are saying, no, I wouldn't fight for this country, wouldn't fight for this government, we've been left behind. I certainly wouldn't go to one of our allies' uh, countries and fight on the Eastern Europe or, or anywhere else because I just, I, I, I don't think it's worth it. What do you make of that reaction? Well, it depends what you define by the vital interests of the UK. And we've been terribly bad in the last 20 years or so at defining what those vital interests are. Now, I would suspect that if we were invaded, and that's a you know, very low possibility, that people would take a different thing. I suspect people would uh, say that it's terrible if, for example, uh, the subsurface uh, infrastructure in the North Sea were uh, hit by the Russians and the gas and the energy to the UK and the internet uh, architecture were broken and that no one could go on TikTok. I think people <laughs> would say that's outrageous and we'd, we'd have to fight. So geography matters. Uh, the interest matters, the vital interest. So, for example, at the moment, I would say that, for example, the Red Sea is of vital interest to the UK and the international community because the free flow of trade and navigation is something which is, is worthwhile for the whole international community. That's why, for example, in that instance, UN Security Council Resolution 2722 was not vetoed by China and Russia. People want that to happen. Uh, I think the we wouldn't go and fight in Eastern Europe thing is slightly dangerous because one of the um, one of the things which is good at the moment is that NATO is a collective organization. It's got stronger and with more purpose because of the uh, invasion of Ukraine with the addition of Finland with another 280,000 people making it the 31st member and Sweden soon to join the 32nd member. So deterrence and defence matters, collective security matters, so that you don't have to go to fight and yeah. fight. And In that, the UK sense, it's not the army which is the most important, it's the Air Force and the Navy. Yeah, indeed. And this is the thing I'm fascinated by, you know, the usual suspects on the Labour benches, the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the virtue signalling Corbynistas, how awful it is that, you know, we're, uh, British and the US are, are, are attacking Houthi, missile, Houthi rebels uh, who are firing missiles at the Red Sea, as if, as if protecting commercial shipping in the Red Sea isn't part of our national interest. And of course, America's as well, both seafaring nations relying on international trade uh, and again not just for consumer goods but for our safety as well and that's the thing isn't it because this is what happened you know with ukraine and it's also what's happened in the past you know the threats to to finland as well and that's what the baltic countries and poland all fear as well often it isn't just you know tanks rolling in and a really obvious signal as we saw with eastern ukraine in the donbass region uh, you know ahead of 2014 we you know we had you know the russian military build up they weren't in uniforms. It wasn't officially the Russian army. There are ways of these things happening on territory that is land, but on sea, cutting off our supplies, blockades, um, cutting our, 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 you know, our electricity, our power. These things that happen. And people say, well, it's not actually an invasion, but, but it is an act of war. Um, do you think that we've all got a bit soft? Have we all 
forgotten because we're in a couple of generations now, two or three generations, who've never had to experience real war. Yes, in my time, lifetime, you know, we've had Gulf War, we've had the uh, Falklands War, but these are, they're far away. And unless you are either a, a fighting man or woman or a close member of their family, you haven't had to deal with the impact of that in the way that people did in the First and Second World Wars. Do you think that we've just got soft and we just don't really understand that you do have to stand well, up? Yeah, I think people have been living under the rubric of the long peace. So it's the misunderstanding and ignorance, really, of geostrategy and geopolitics, which is the main thing, not the fact we've either gone soft or whatever. But uh, it's really that if, you, if you're not soft, you're hard. And hard power is a reality at the moment. We've seen that in Europe. One of the things that I like to quote is General Mark Milley, who was the outgoing chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in America in 2017, said, and this is, of course, before the invasion of Ukraine, that there are a number of myths about war that we need to let go. The first one, he said, is that wars will be short. They might not, was his rubric to that. And this is really what Patrick Saunders has said, really. He hasn't said, let's introduce conscription. He said, regular armies start wars, citizen armies uh, win them. The second thing Millie said was that armies fight wars. They don't. Nations fight wars. And he's really trying to get a conversation there between uh, the military and society as to how we go to uh, a a place where we have this sort of strategy bridge between the nation and the military. Because the third thing he said is that armies are easy to create, they're not. And that's what we need to get to. So two of these concepts which have been missing in the last 10 to 20 years are the first concept of regeneration, that's making sure your equipment, manning levels, stock levels and and, uh, infrastructure, including the industrial infrastructure, is there to support the force in being. And it isn't, we know that. Yeah, and the second one is reconstitution, which is the expansion of the force. Yeah. So it's that debate but okay, but which let's needs say, to I mean, be Let's happen. get down to specifics. We haven't got many ships. We haven't got many jets. Uh, we haven't got many tanks. Uh, we're constantly equipping to fight the last war. So, we're all, so we'd be fine to fight a war in the desert now. Well done. Well, you know, the, uh, Ukraine isn't a desert. Um, uh, we, we, we constantly live like that. Procurement is massively, I mean... It's hugely slow. It's hugely complicated. We often end up with with stuff that doesn't work, doesn't function. We pay three times as much for it. It takes years and years to come. And we've only got an army of seven, well, an entire military of of 70,000. I mean, you know, we've got you've got seats spare in Wembley Stadium at that point. That's that is not enough of a military capability. Yes, we've got loads of money going on nuclear weapons. But the whole point of nuclear weapons is your willingness to use them, but never having to use them. But we know, we, we watch what's happened in the last 10, 20, 30 years. We know we need to have a fighting force that is able to protect our allies and us. And we don't have it. But why don't we? Where's the lack of political will? Where's that coming from? Well, the reality is that we have the sixth largest defence budget in the world. It's what that defence bu- oh, budget spend buys a lot you, of money. which is the issue. We spend a lot of money, but it doesn't really produce very much. But it, but it must be uh, said against the NATO context. There are very few occasions where we're likely to be uh, campaigning by ourselves. And most of the uh, occasions that we've been campaigning in the last 30 years were a junior partner to America. One of the most important things to do is to make sure that the transatlantic bridge between America and the US and NATO, European NATO, is maintained. But in terms of pure spending, NATO, European NATO, outspends uh, Russia by about four times. It's what the plans, dispositions and capabilities within NATO are, which is more important. 
Part of the uh, problem is the sort of uh, tension really between Patrick Saunders, his speech today as uh, head of the army and chief of defence staff. The chief of defence staff has said that we're an expeditionary, uh, always been an expeditionary force rather than a continental force. And that our operational advantage comes not from mass, but from disproportionate effect. Now, what he means by that, I'm not sure. But people like me, particularly because of uh, Ukraine, would say that mass still matters. There's only one country which can really afford exotic capabilities in the fine degree, and that is America. Uh, that's where we need to be part of an alliance because we can't be strong everywhere. No. If we try and be strong everywhere, we end up being weak everywhere. No, indeed. And there are lots of countries like Germany that, frankly, lived off that, uh, you know, the peace dividend and haven't been making contribution over the years. They're now bucking their ideas up. Certainly countries like Poland, who've lived with the reality of being invaded over the last century a number of times, a number of different nation states, uh, that, uh, that, that they understand that, which is why they've always kept up to their... Uh, their, their percentage of GDP required under NATO, which many other countries haven't. I mean, Donald Trump was right to call that out, wasn't he? Um, in terms of what happens next, though, do you think that we are going to have uh, an increase in defence spending? Do you think, again, when times are hard, people don't want to pay more tax, you can't borrow more, uh, other public services failing, do you think there is now an, an understanding within government we are in very, very dangerous very uncertain times. We need to spend more on defence, we need to recruit more, and we need to be focusing on that right now. I think the GDP uh, figure is strategically illiterate. It means nothing. You need to define the capability you, right. you, you need. So the reason I say that, for example, at the end of the Cold War, our GDP spent on defence was 3.8%. In 1990, when we went to the Gulf War, technically on paper, we had three armoured divisions in Germany. We had to absolutely strip two of those to sustain and make available one armoured division. So just having yeah. pure numbers can give you a pyrrhic capability unless there is availability and sustainability, and that costs a lot of money, but you need to define that. Just having numbers of troops is not a capability. Okay. A capability is really the sum of training, equipment, personnel, yeah. infrastructure, it's, it's, and logistics. I think the summary sure of that, sustainable together. I think the summary of that, uh, Chip, is, is it's more complicated than that. Thank you. Major General Chip Chapman, I so appreciate you joining us. Uh, he's the former head of counterterrorism at the MIT, but also a former commander in the elite parachute regiment. He's a proper man, Benedict Spence, uh, who's joining us here this He doesn't have a moustache, though, a does he? <laughs> Not much of a major general without a moustache, <laughs> No, but, I mean, look, this is the thing. Look, I mean, I, I, mean, I, like, I, I really like Chip. He, he, talks like, he talks like an army man. Mm. Very specific. Very, and this is the thing we can talk, you know, about you know, percentages. And At the end of the day, have you got enough people, enough equipment, and the political will to actually deliver and actually achieve? Yeah. We do have elite forces, our SAS, our SBS, our Marines, our superb forces. However, I mean, you know, our fighting forces are regarded as some of the best in the world. Yeah. But you know, yeah. we did send people to war in the Gulf War without you know adequate flak jackets and things. For God's sake, yeah, the basic we stuff we didn't get right. Yeah, that's true. And we've known this about our armed forces for some time that they're sort of uh, flying by the seat of their pants. But this is, I think it's a broadly good point, which is actually a war with Russia would be a civilizational conflict. It would be total war, as we refer to it in the First and Second World Wars. And broadly, civilian infrastructure in this country isn't able to withstand that. Energy production, raw material production, we don't have that anymore because we're racing towards ideological goals, things like net zero. That does actually impact your ability to make war. Yeah. If you don't have enough coal or oil or anything like that to actually power... You can't make you, you steel. You can't do it. You can't 
power a tank with wind energy. Put it that, put it that way. Um, you know, ultimately, that is as big a problem as recruitment and retention is. Yeah, absolutely. These are such important issues, aren't they? Uh, well, look, I'm asking you today if you would fight for your country and would enough other Brits be willing to sign up? A lot of you are saying you wouldn't fight for your country, interestingly. Uh, give us a call on 0344-499-1000, text on 8722, or get in touch on X at Talk TV. Chris says, I served my country for 24 years and would do so again. Thank you. Uh, Bridie says, since we've been given fair warning, we should be increasing our numbers of regular forces, not contemplating conscription in the first instance. Well, yeah, and I, I think, I mean, ultimately it would be conscription if we didn't have enough people, wouldn't it? Uh, and Gary says, I'd fight if my country was invaded, but as far as going overseas to fight a war, forget it, which is what you were saying, Benedict. You've also been getting in touch on the phone. Keep those calls coming in. Let's go to John. He's in North Wales. Hi, John. Hi there, how are you? Very well indeed, thanks for joining us. So, John, would you, first question, would you be willing to fight for your country? Yes, you no would. problem whatsoever. And I think that anyone that enjoys the freedoms of being a British citizen should fight for their country. But do you define that in the same way that some of our, call, our callers and others and Benedict in the studio have been saying that actually, OK, for our territory, you know, you, you come across the channel at that point, I'll fight, or maybe France to sort of stop us being invaded. But where do you draw the line in terms of, you know, would you go to Ukraine to fight? I think if boots land on the White Cliffs of Dover or on the sunny shores, shores of North Wales, then I'll quite happily fight for my country. Okay. The main point I was following up about, uh, by the way, I love the show, absolutely brilliant, much better than the alternative that the BBC offer. <laughs> oh, um, I mean, that's a low bar, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, when this announcement was made by the head of the armed forces, I only heard it this morning. I checked all the other news outlets. I thought, you know, let's see what everyone's take it is on this. But everyone is focusing on the same narrative. No one, absolutely no one, is saying, what's the chances of us not going to war? It's completely catastrophized, and everyone's focusing on, yes, we're going to war, this is what we need to do. Let's imagine it's a perfect situation. Let's imagine we've got 10 million troops, 10 million tanks, 1,000 ships, a perfect situation. Even then, the effort should be on not going to war. I'm not a pacifist, more than athlete. No, no, we should always but avoid war when we look. We've seen what's happened in Gaza. We should always yeah. avoid war. However, yeah. sometimes war is is not avoidable, as in, you know, when the Russians invade Ukraine, although I think we could have avoided that war by saying exactly. clearly, one exactly. steel toe cap goes over Ukrainian shores, we will bomb the hell out of you. I don't think Putin would have been that stupid. We could have avoided no. that war. But, yeah, but, but having enough but people no like you that. willing to fight and having the capability and the willingness to say, we will, we will. Don't you think the reason why a lot of these authoritarian governments are like are, are doing what they're doing, they're testing the waters and they are finding us lacking is because they think, well, we're not willing to fight for what we've got. Maybe, maybe. Do I you mean, think other people would fight? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, of course they would. Of course they would. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think they would. Unfortunately, we won't know until we're tested, will we? That's Which the is worry. unfortunate. That is um, the worry. But at the moment, my biggest annoyance is, you know, news outlets bring on experts to argue about gender, about all kinds of mad subjects. When you encroach upon a serious, you know, a huge subject of war, going to war, millions of people dying... 
They yeah. concentrate on one side of the argument, which is we are going to war. There's no one saying what are the chances of us not. No yeah, but one. But it's not saying we're going to war. You're saying like war is likely. War is likely. War is likelier than it would have been, you know, ten years ago. We need to. We need to be prepared for that. And I'm, I'm yes, with. Is it Lyndon Johnson? Be you know, speak softly but carry a big stick. The more you are prepared for war, the easier it is to avoid war. Yes, yes, I agree with that. But the reality of the situation, I mean, in the, in the climate that we live in, which is mad, which is mutually assured destruction, obviously, um, it'd only take five warheads from Russia and we'd be gone anyway. I mean, yeah. I mean, the reason Putin hasn't used nuclear weapons in Ukraine is because why would you use nuclear weapons on land you plan on seizing? It's completely pointless. Yeah. I, I still don't think Putin would ever be mad enough to actually uh, use nuclear weapons. No, and, no. and even if he did, I don't think that the Russians who... Are, the, the, the chain of command... Were, and we've seen this, actually. It's happened previously where actually has, they, they haven't actually been willing to fire them. John, so good to talk to you. Thank you so much from North Wales. Um, mm. Benedict Spence, your response to what John had to say? I think that that's one that many people would share, actually, is that they don't see the benefits necessarily going and fighting wars, which by definition happen because there's been a breakdown of diplomacy or policy. That's politicians making you, Yeah, Ukraine was a... Well, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. There. Both Western politicians, but also the politicians in those countries as well. Ukraine made mistakes that yeah. it did not have to make that led to this. Nobody's t saying that it's, uh, you know, it's not to blame, but, yeah. but they could have avoided it. And I think that that's a perfectly uh, reasonable uh, thing to say. As you say, pre preparation is the important thing. If you have the resources, countries won't mess with you. A very good example is Japan, which has, at a week's notice, it can call up 300,000 people. And even though constitutionally it's not allowed to have nuclear weapons, it has more ballistic missiles than we do, mm -hmm. and it has a larger stockpile of nuclear military-grade material than we do, because it's prepared. It's not saying we're going to go to war. It knows where it is. It knows where it is. Uh, and we have yeah. become oblivious to where we are, because we think we're safer than we actually are. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio.